So, if you have your Bibles, um, we are in the book of 1 John, and we're into chapter 3 tonight. So, we are making progress, and um, quicker progress, I think, than I was making going through Hebrews, but, uh, but this is not too much quicker, but just a little bit. Uh, so, chapter 3 of 1 John, near, near the back of your Bible, is where we will pick it up tonight. And last week we ran out of time and had to stop sort of in the middle of John's thought about what it means to be born of God. Um, John wrote about the fact that for Christians, abiding in God is the source of confidence for the time when Christ returns. To, To not abide in God or not be abiding in God, it leaves a person in a place of having to um, shrink from him when he returns. That doesn't sound good, does it? To, to feel like you have to shrink from him uh, when Christ returns. The Christian does not have that fear. The Christian does not fear the return of Christ. We rejoice in it. We look forward to it. We are waiting for it to happen. So it's a, it's a really big difference there. And so that's John was talking about the fact that Christians don't have to shrink, um, shrink from him at his return. And and that idea of shrinking, he talked about, was in shame. Um, this is what can be expected by the unbeliever, to shrink from Christ in shame at having rejected him, at having rejected the gospel um, and his offer of reconciliation for lost sinners. They rejected the gospel. They continued to walk in unrighteousness. And the other side of that, again, is the Christian who... Um, uh, who has shrunk in shame at the realization of sin and, and ran to the Savior in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. There was a time when a Christian shrank in shame, right? When you're confronted with the, the terrible nature of your sin and as that relates to a holy God, it is a shameful thing. But in repentance and faith, that shame can go away as God forgives sin. He takes your sin as far away as the east is from the west. That's an amazing thing. And that's why we as Christians do not fear the return of Christ. Um, So that's the only thing that can give us confidence when Christ returns, is that our sins are forgiven. We no longer have to fear his return. That's what we ended with last week in the last verse of chapter 2. Where John said, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Okay, in chapter 3 now, John continues with some of the most, I think, some of the most encouraging words in Scripture for the person who had come to faith in Christ. And we need to really understand those words. We need to really understand that truth. And not only to understand it, but to be reminded of it over and over again. That's why you can open your Bible throughout the entire Bible and continually find passages that remind God's people of who he is and continually find passages that tell you to remember who he is. Uh, it's, you know, we need hope uh, in this world. We absolutely need hope, and that hope is found in Christ. And so we want to remember and I hope tonight that you will be sufficiently edified by these words as, as I have been. And that is the intent here. And that is John's intent of writing this letter is to encourage Christians. Uh, so we should take it that way. 
I want to start by reading uh, our passage of Scripture. I'm going to go back to chapter 2, verse 28, and read through chapter 3, verse 3, uh, just for, for context. We need to, to understand all of it together, because we kind of broke it up by stopping early last week. So verse 28 of chapter 2, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's have a word of prayer to start. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night. We thank you for another um, midweek gathering of your people to sing praises to you, to lift up um, our prayers to you to read and hear the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege. We thank you for those who have come out, for those who are able to listen online. We pray that our numbers would increase um, on Wednesday nights, Lord, uh, as they, this time would be even the sweeter to have more of your children here. We thank you, Lord, for your Word. We thank you that you teach us through your Holy Spirit so that we can understand what you have said and we can we can marvel at you. We can praise you and, and honor you. We want to bring glory to your name and your name alone. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, for, for making us your children through faith in your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Chapter 3, 1 John. That first verse again there in, in 1 John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And no doubt you've, you recognize those words as being familiar. They're, they're words that were made into a song, I, I don't know how long ago. I remember singing them probably almost 40 years ago. Um, I don't know how long ago it was written, but, but the way that I always heard it sung was taken from the King James Version. So if any of you have the King James or New King James, you probably see where it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. And even hearing those words out loud brings back this song uh, in my head. I can just I can hear it as, as I sing it. Um, you know, this is something that we did at camp uh, many years ago. I was thinking about it today and probably... I, I think I remember Rosie taking me to camp one time uh, when I was really, really young. Um, that was a long time ago. But we sang this song every year at camp, and it was a fun song to sing. And you, then you sang it uh, in a round by starting two different groups. You'd start one group off, and they'd get through the first part. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. And then as they started the second part, the second group would start the first part again. And so you have this round. I don't know if we ever got beyond two groups doing it, but sometimes it got a little chaotic. But honestly, it was a favorite song of mine. I really enjoyed singing it. 
Uh, it was something I looked forward to. And there were others as well that were favorite songs of mine. And I, I kind of wanted to ask that question as I started thinking about it and even thinking about the things Matt was saying tonight about, about the songs we sing. How many of you had favorite camp songs or church songs when you were a kid that you really enjoyed singing? A few? Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's sort of a, you can almost hear it in your head as you, even, even as you think about it. So, you know, think for a minute about those songs and about why they were favorite songs of yours. What, what are some of the reasons, whatever the song was, what are some of the reasons it was a favorite song of yours as a kid? You could say the song if you want, but you don't have to sing it. Simple, okay? Right? But it was simple. Yeah, it was a favorite favorite song. Okay, other reasons? Yes. Hope for a new day. Okay, all right. Right now, yeah, it brings back good memories. And even as a kid, right, if you went to camp every year, you'd go back and sing that song. You can remember the year before. And, and so even when you're not at camp and you think about it, there's good memories associated with that, with the fun that it was to sing those songs. That was kind of some of the things I put on my list. It's fun to sing, right? Some of them are because it's a catchy tune. Um, you know, the way the song was put together, it just kind of draws you in. You know, some of it were, beca were because uh, of good hand motions. You know, as a kid, a lot of the songs, they put hand motions to them to make it more fun for the kids. Um, but how many of you, as a kid, not, not now, but as a kid, loved the song because the truth of the words moved you, and when you sing it, you can't help but be in awe of God. As kids, how many of you thought about that? Yeah, I, I had the same answer. That didn't cross my mind. It didn't cross my mind when I was singing those songs as a kid that, wow, this God is amazing, right? It's just the fun of singing the songs. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a terrible thing as a kid, but you know, it would be nice if the adults would help the kids understand really what they're singing. Um, you know, I had a lot of favorite songs, but the fact is they were favorites for the wrong reasons. Um, sadly, it is, it's only now in my old years, I'm not that old, but older years, uh, that, that I've come to value songs for the content. Again, this is what Matt was talking about earlier and something we're really trying to be more intentional about here in choosing our songs, that they are biblically sound, that they, as we sing them, they teach us the doctrines of the Bible. Um, but I've come to value that now in my life uh, for the biblical truth uh, and the doctrine that a song proclaims. So as I sit and sing it, I, th I think about those words now. It's not that the tune isn't important or that music isn't important. It absolutely is. It's a gift of God. Uh, music is. Um, but I think about songs differently now than when I was a kid. And that's what I want you to think about tonight. When you, when you uh, hear this truth about the love of God um, and, and this love that he has shown people, I want you to think about that. And of course, not just in this verse or these verses, but when, whenever you read Scripture, think about those truths. Think deeply about those truths and what they say about God. Uh, it, this just happens to be our focus tonight, this particular verse that, is, that was made into a particular song. I'm not going to sing it for you because you don't want to hear that. Um, 
As we look at this verse and, and John's mention of the love of God and just know that this is, this is his focus tonight. He wants us, at least in this portion, to be looking at this. Um, so think about that, not only tonight in these verses, but whenever you read the scripture, whenever you sing songs here at church or at home, if you listen to other, from other sources, um, biblical songs, think about those words. Maybe even go to the scriptures that they're singing them from and really think about what you're singing. Um, so we don't have a, a childlike enjoyment of songs, which isn't terrible, but an adult enjoyment of songs, which is to really understand the depths of the word of God. And John wants us to look at God's love here in this, in this first verse of chapter 3. He really wants us to look at that. He wants us to think about it. He wants us to put this love in perspective. Uh, he wants us to put it in context. This love is not amazing because we were his children, though. Every human being is created by God in the image of God, but no human being is God's child without some intervention. And this love is also not amazing because God has some obligation to love us. Okay, like human fathers and mothers naturally love the children they bear. You expect that. Uh, we sometimes get the idea that God should love us. If you think about it, we, we kind of get that idea because, well, who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't love us? <laughs> well, why is it amazing then? If it's not amazing for those reasons, why is it amazing? Why would God, who is not lonely, not needy, or uh, emotionally unfulfilled, or any other thing like that, why would he love us? Well, because he chose to. Right, this type of love is agape love. You've heard of this, which is a love of the will. It's a love of God's own volition, which nobody talked him into or convinced him to give by any sort of enticement. Okay, God chose to love this way. This love is amazing because we were not his children. We were enemies of God, rebels completely against God in every way and not seeking him and never would because we only care about self. Well, that seems a bit harsh, judgmental, doesn't it? Well, that was me being gentle. Right. Look at what the Bible says about human beings among other harsh things the Bible says about them. In Romans, look with me if, at chap Romans chapter 3, if you would. Sometimes we need a little kidney punch. Romans chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 18. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Verse 14, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We have to look at these verses to get perspective and context about why this love is so shockingly wonderful. 
so amazing. Right? This, this is the backdrop that makes this love of God so unspeakably amazing. You see, we were not his children. What is amazing is not that we were his children, but that even amid the backdrop of Romans 3 and what we just read as God's description of human beings, God chose to love and then transformed enemies into his children. And when John says in our, in our passage here, when John says, see, or if you have King James, behold, depending on your translation, he uses a Greek word that is both a command and an exclamation. Okay, John uses it to exhort the people to pay very close attention to the subject matter, and in this case, the love of God. If John were saying these words in a public address, I believe he would have, this would have been done with great feeling and emphasis behind it. And that matters, doesn't it? I mean, I can read it this way. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Right? <laughs> but, but what about if we read the Scripture with feeling? And this is the idea that John is getting after here. See what kind of love. Or, or behold what kind of love. It's unbelievable. There's never been and never will be anything like it. Look at it. Think about it. And that changes everything. This is the idea of the word see and behold here. I don't think we're sufficiently in awe of this love that John's writing about. I don't think we grasp the utter destitution of our state of being without this love. If every time we read this verse or other verses in Scripture describing God's love for us, we were to reflect on our condition without his love, like the Romans 3 passage, what would that do for our understanding of these kinds of passages? If we had that in mind every time, our, our condition before this love, before we became children of God, how would that change if we, if we brought that into perspective every time? It changes everything. We were worse than that ugly, mangy, starving, flea-bitten, three-legged, dying dog that people rescue and nurse back to health, right? They, they see it on the side of the road, and they just can't help but go get it and nurse it back to health. They, they clean them up. They give them a new home, a, a new master, everything they need for life with their master. And I say we were worse because we were. That dog was dying. We were dying. We were, according to the Scripture, dead in our trespasses and sins. See what kind of love. In light of who we were, do you see his love and what it did? It made us children of his. John says, the Father has given this love. Again, we didn't deserve it. He gave it. We talked about why this love, why this love was amazing. What about why he gave it? Why did God give this love, according to verse 1 in our First John passage tonight? Why did he give this love? Anybody? No. <laughs> if your Bible says because he likes us, you know, you might want to get a new Bible. 
<laughs> what was that? Because that's who we are? No. Why? What was that? Okay, yes, to give himself glory. There you go. Right, so that we could be called his children. That we should be called children of God. We were not, but now we are. When a father introduces you to his son, do you, do you find yourself being amazed? If you, if you know somebody and they, oh, here's my son. Are you in awe of that? Not, not really. I, I, it's nice to meet you, you know, that kind of thing. But we don't really think about that father and how much he loves that, that kid. Uh, it's not really that amazing. It's, it's just some more information. Um, the difference with us is that everyone, including ourselves, who knew us prior to salvation should be amazed at God for what he did. Right? When they, that, that's the point. God receives glory, like you were talking about, for saving sinners. And remember back to the last verse of chapter 2 and John's reference to um, being born of him. That is the new birth, being born again through repentance and faith. With that new birth came the right to be called his children. John made this clear in his gospel. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1. Start in verse 11 through verse 13. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gave the right. See, we were not his children, but the right to be called his children came about as a gift by the grace of God through faith in him, through faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. John is saying here, do you see that? Behold that. Do you see what God gave us because of his love? And not only should we be, be called children of God, John goes beyond that. In, in, in his ongoing effort to bring hope to Christians by these truths, he goes beyond that. Not only should we be called children of God, he says, and so we are. It's not just something people call us or uh, that we should be called. It's a fact. And so we are. God said it himself, right? To those who receive him, who believe in his name, right? We just read that in John, in the gospel. So why should we trust that? Why, why should any Christian trust that? Because the Bible says it, okay? Yeah. It's God's word. It's true. We can trust him. Okay. Right. 
and he didn't have to figure out a way to bring us back to life because it was a difficult thing for him to figure out. But I know what you're saying. He had a plan to do that. Yes. Absolutely. And all those are true. I mean, we see, the, we can trust it because God said it. The Bible says it. It's the word of God. We can trust it. Also, if you've, if you've been saved, you know it to be true by experience. And we can't discount that. We know it to be true by experience. We have the word of God that informs us that we are different. And we and others can see that change. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We can trust what God says. We can, we can live it by experience. We've experienced coming from darkness to light, from death to life. Uh, there's a change in our life, not perfection, right? But we see a change. We continue moving forward. It's called sanctification. We can see it. Others can see it in our life. And that's why John is... Um, is writing this, right, so that we may know. We, we talked about that when we first started this book. He wants the Christians here to have assurance so that they will know he's, he's writing these things. We can trust. Also, God is not a flip-flopper. That term came up in politics a few years ago. People kept flip-flopping on, on ideas. Not, we're not going to get into politics. Uh, but God is not a flip-flopper, right, or someone who's flighty and, and can't be trusted. Someone who, who changes everything all the time, okay? Look at how he describes himself, Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Right, those are rhetorical questions. Absolutely. He sp has spoken it and he will fulfill it. He has said it, and he will do it. We can, we can trust that. That is God. He does not change. He's not a flip-flopper. That's how it, it works. God will do what he says, period. And that's what makes God's promises in the Bible that much better. When we read those promises and we know, okay, he said this. I can believe this. I can stand on that. I don't have to wonder or worry if he's going to change his mind. God has chosen and seeks and calls and justifies and redeems and adopts and sanctifies and ultimately glorifies his children. He knows them all. He gets them all. This is, it's such great news. There's no better news than God pursuing his children, coming in and claiming his children, redeeming his children. And it's not only good news for the sinner who's being crushed by the weight of their sin, at, at the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever of, of their sin and their need for a Savior. It's not only for that person. Uh, over, we, we also need this over and over again. You and I, who have been saved, can rejoice in this truth. We can be um, steadfast in this truth, encouraged in this truth, and reminded of who God is. He will do what he says. The book of Acts describes the response of Gentiles when confronted with not only their sin, but with the saving power of the gospel. Acts 13, 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing 
and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You see, they weren't all saved that day. But every single person in that group of however many people were there that were hearing the gospel, every single person there who God was pursuing, who God had appointed to eternal life, believed. By God's grace, perhaps some of the others came to faith later on. But we know from that passage for sure, everyone who God was pursuing there believed. And John ends with a reminder that the world does not know anything about that kind of love, or this kind of relationship between God and his children. He said the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And this, this goes to our current sermon series as well on being strangers and exiles. We've been going through that for several weeks now. And so, in thinking about that, in this passage here, you know, 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time that is, uh, that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They're surprised when Christians don't join them in all the debauchery. And because of it, they malign you. They speak badly of you. They spread rumors about you, whatever it might be, because you don't participate in those things. Christians, though they still fight against their, uh, their old sin nature, we still struggle with sin, we are becoming more and more like Christ. They cannot help but be different. Christians cannot help but be different, look different than the world. The things we do and the things we do not do identify us as children of God. And that, my friends, is a good thing. That is good news, that we would look different than the world, sound different than the world, different than the world, because we are looking more and more like our Savior. John continues in verse 2, and it gets even better. Uh, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we, sh well, we shall see Him as He is. And John is repeating, though in different words, the same sentiment as he was when he said, and so we are. We read that earlier. Children of God. Here he says, we are God's children now. Okay, we were not, but we are now. Something had to change, right? We, we had to be born again. But he says there's something more. He says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What does he mean by that? What will we be? What are we waiting for? The rapture, okay? That's the way to put it. We're waiting, we're waiting for God to finish adopting all of his children. We're waiting for God to finish pursuing and, and getting all who are his. We're also waiting for God to finish the process of sanctifying each one of us, right? However long God waits, he is still sanctifying us. We're, we're in this process. And, and be encouraged. He will bring it to completion. Right? Scripture tells us, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. Uh, but John is talking about something else here. Those, are, those things are true, 
But John is talking about something else, and it goes to what Rosie said. You, you had a question. Yeah, we don't know a lot about what we will look like, be like, what we'll be doing. There are some things that Scripture reveals about what we'll be doing in heaven. We know that we'll be praising God for eternity in heaven. We do know that we will have glorified bodies. Um, we will be like him. Now, that doesn't mean we will be God, okay? Not like him in that sense, but in the sense of um, no more sin. Can you imagine just that? I mean, Forget everything else that might be great about heaven. Not struggling with sin anymore. That's, that's enough. <laughs> but there's going to be so much more than that, right? So what, what is John talking about here when he says, what we will be has not yet appeared? He is talking about what we will be when Christ returns, when Christ glorifies us. And like you said, we don't, we don't have a lot of details about what that looks like. We, people have made movies about stuff. They draw pictures or whatever to sit, just show what they think it might be, but uh, I, I wouldn't put too much weight on those things. <laughs> uh, a lot of this we won't know until we get there, uh, but we, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Okay, I can tell you that much. Right. Good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Well. Right. Yeah, there, there will be something to our appearance that will be different. Um, I don't think we're going to be floating around with wings on little clouds and with bows and arrows and stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's the way it's going to be. But, yeah, we will be like him. And Paul tells us about this um, when he writes about it in Philippians. He tells us about, about what's going to happen when Christ returns. In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, it goes to what you're talking about. Um, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, this is talking about Jesus now, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. By the power of God, Jesus is going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. It's, so it's not something we do. He comes back and then all of a sudden we get everything in order. He will do this. He will transform our bo lowly body to be like his glorious body. So John can say with confidence in verse 3 here, 
and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And the point here is not that we purify ourselves and so God loves us or so God saves us. This goes back to the other times when John uh, points out that those who are in Christ will walk in righteousness as Christ did. The fruit being produced by Christians uh, as they live their lives is evidence. In other words, everyone who is truly a Christian who has this hope in their Savior that he's talking about will walk in obedience to the Word of God. They will live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. And don't fear, Christian. This can sometimes bring about fear, but don't fear that. I mean, we should fear our ongoing struggle with sin and our fear to um, you know, bring reproach on the church of Christ and to offend a holy God. Um, we don't want to do that. But also, we shouldn't fear because it is God who works in us both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. It's, it's a certainty that we strive for, yes, to be Christ-like. We strive for it, but it is a certainty nonetheless. It will happen. It will take place. When Christ returns, it will be perfected. We will be perfected as far as God will perfect us. We will no longer have this sanctifying process in our life, right? We're not going to be going through that anymore. Um, all of our faith, all of our hope, they won't be there. Our faith and hope won't be necessary because we'll be living it. We'll be in it. It's all going to be realized when Christ returns. And we know that this will happen. We talked earlier about, about who God is. He doesn't change his mind. He's not like a man that he's, he would change his mind. He, when he says he'll do something, he'll do it. And, and we know that he will do this. This is his will for his children. And we know this from Romans 8, 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It tells us right there, it is the will of God that we, he has predetermined it, predestined it, that we will be conformed to the image of his son. We will be conformed. Some of us through more fire than others, um, but God will do it. Right? We, don't, we don't go through this life without nicks and dings and scrapes and hardships, struggles, physically, spiritually, mentally. Uh, there's a lot of things we deal with in this world. There's a lot of suffering, and that's to be understood. We can understand it from Scripture. It's not something that should surprise us. Notice here, though, that there's, there's nothing that John has been talking about, whether it be tonight or in, in the past weeks. There's nothing he's been talking about that is ever something that might happen or he really hopes happens, but, you know, it might not. Uh, these, these are statements of fact that every believer can be anchored to. This is not wishy-washy, right? Again, it's not, God doesn't flip-flop. They're, they're to bring about a godly hope among Christians. And that's John's point here, a, a godly hope. Or it's, it's, and not a hope meaning, I'm wishing this will happen. I think Brandon talked about that before. But this is a, a settled longing, like, I know it's going to happen. I'm hoping for it. I'm longing for it. That's what that kind of hope means. It's of, of what is for sure that hasn't quite come yet. And, and Paul wrote to Titus in Titus 1, 1 and 2, 
Paul, a servant of God and, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. That's hope. That, it is absolute truth. And the point that John is making here is, beloved, we are children of God now. We weren't, now we are. And there is hope in that. There is encouragement in that. We can stand on the promises of God. And we know that um, when he appears, we don't have to shrink in shame. Right? Our sins are forgiven in Christ. They are tossed away. We've been brought near to God through repentance and faith in Christ. And for the Christian, this is such great hope. And so everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We continue to strive for Christ-likeness. And when he returns, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. We won't get it tonight, but the next verse takes the other direction. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And it's the opposite. So next time we'll We'll get into that, but as Christians, be encouraged. Have, be hopeful for Christ. Look forward to his return with joy. Okay? These, are, these are hopeful things. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for tonight. We thank you for these words of encouragement from your scriptures. As John wrote, Lord, we are children of God now. Or not because of something we did or earned or that we convinced you or enticed you to love us, Lord, you, by your own sovereign choice, your own sovereign will, without any in from other people or other beings, chose to love people by making them your children through repentance and faith in Christ. As we read, Lord, you gave those who, who believe in his name the right to become children of God. And we thank you for that gift, Lord, the, the gift of faith that you have given so that people can, can turn to you and turn from their wicked, evil ways, their lostness, and turn to the Savior. Lord, I pray that each person here tonight, Lord, in, in their lives, any areas where they may be struggling with assurance or uh, doubts, Lord, that you would bring peace and comfort to them through your word, that you might bring other Christians into their path that can uh, encourage them with your word, Lord. Maybe there's something they're believing that um, isn't true, or maybe there's something that you have they're not believing, Lord, that they need to, and therefore to be restored in joy, in the joy of their salvation. So I pray that tonight, Lord, for anybody that's, that's listening. Uh, you know all the hearts here. You know everyone, Lord. I pray that you would encourage tonight. And that if there's those, Lord, that have not come all the way to faith in Christ, that you would convict them of their sin, Lord. Bring them to a place of um, recognizing their, their rebellion and their utter lostness because of their sin. 
and their desperate need for the Savior, Jesus Christ. You are a good and faithful God, Lord. We thank you for making us your children. Help us to think about that when we, when we sing praises to you that talk about your love for us, when we uh, read scripture that talks about your love for us, that we would never be proud or take credit for anything, Lord, but we would continually be bringing honor and glory to your name. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.